Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And, and this, this is, is Celebrity, Celebrity Memoir, Memoir Book Club. Club. What are you doing? <laughs> you are saying it weird. And we are trying to do this podcast through space and time. You're a full hour ahead of me. And I'm trying to speak in a way that gets to you fast enough that you can hear it one hour later. Slow enough. <laughs> And I'm trying to do it in such a way that we don't upset the Zoom audio because we're both on Zoom right now. It just dawned on me as we were speaking that actually when two people speak at the exact same time on Zoom, none of the audio works. So I was actually trying to fake it. And instead you like, you really threw me under the bus. I honestly had no idea that that's where you were coming from, from a technological perspective. It didn't even occur to me. (laughs) Ashley, how's Chicago? You're home. What would you call this memoir? Okay. I actually want to first shout out the listeners, the worms, the squirmy worms who wiggled out of the dirt this week and left us enough five-star reviews that we are going to have a really kick-ass announcement probably next week, but I'm just very excited. Oh my God, you know what it was like? You know when it rains really hard and then you're walking around in the suburbs and all of a sudden there's just worms everywhere and you're like, did they wash away all of these worm homes? It was like a worm avalanche and now that all the worms are out, that's how I felt about the reviews. Yes. There was worms everywhere and you couldn't go anywhere without stepping on them and we loved it. Thanks, worms. Wait, is that what happens? Is the rain washes away their homes and that's why they're in the sidewalk? I don't know if maybe it drowns them out. Like it fills up their little holes with water. So they have to come above ground and show face. Oh, that might be it. I always thought it was just like when the ground is wet, they think everything is like wet dirt. So then they just like (laughs) squirm (laughs) into the sidewalks and then it gets dry again. And they say, oh, this was a mistake. Thank you guys so much. I'm so excited to do this fucking merch drop. We have really great ideas. It's going to be super cute. I cannot wait for you guys to wrap your squirmy wormies all over your respective homes oh, in I the dirt wait. on the sidewalk. Yes, wherever you feel comfortable and safe. Now, Ashley. Yes. What would you title this week's memoir? I would title this week's memoir Relationship Status. Here I am, back home, visiting with friends and family. Of course, a top topic of conversation is, Ashley, what's your relationship status? And it is, at this point, I am void of even a crush like I don't even like anybody a lot of people I know in this point in my life are in very serious relationships a lot of it feels kind of all of a sudden I have this one friend who is dating this absolute melon head who I personally detest and I was complaining about it to my mom and she doesn't know them but she knows that my friend is a little bit of a nut job and she gave me this one she said well who else is she gonna find that puts up with her shit And this, my friends, is where I went off because that is the work that I have been doing personally on myself in these last couple of months of singledom, of not doing any serious dating. It's that you shouldn't be looking for someone who puts up with your shit. You should find someone who likes your shit. And if you have little thingy-mabobs that are unreasonable to expect anyone to love about you, (laughs) then you have to fix those on your own. You're not like looking for someone who just comes along and finds you the scraggly last chihuahua in the pound and says, I guess I'll take this one because I don't want to die alone. Like, that's not it. That's not what we're looking for, okay? And I do feel like that is my friend's relationship. I feel like she thought that she didn't have options and so she, like, is blindly in love with this absolute butt face. You should DM me his face. His face does sort of look like a butt. Yes, but his head is the shape of a melon, like a melon butt. But then the face is like a butt. (laughs) Yeah, like the touche of a melon. (laughs) Anyway, that's my rant, I guess, this week. I think that my things are that I have unreasonable expectations for people, and so no one should 
put up with that shit from me. And I think that I have like anxiety. We've talked about my anxieties. Like that's not, that's the thing I need to work on on my own. But like the rest of my stuff is not something that I'm like looking for someone to put up with. I don't want someone who like tolerates my love of celebrity memoirs. I want someone who thinks, wow, that's really cool that she knows a lot of interesting tidbits about Jessica Simpson and where every single celebrity on earth was when 9-11 happened. I mean, honestly, these men don't like that you do comedy. Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm going to forego a 401k because I believe in Ashley's ability to read a celebrity memoir. (laughs) That is honestly, can I say, probably not a great choice because I don't think anyone else on this entire planet believes in my ability to literally read. (laughs) Anyway, so the point is, This week, I think that shouting out all of my recent inward work was very therapeutic. I think it was a very healthy screaming in people's faces week for me. And I hope you screamed in your own face. Do you know what I mean? I feel like that's like a real yes. scream it in the mirror. <laughs> yes. that's. We were in a car. So I had the, the sun mirror thingy down and I was saying it at my mom and I was saying it at me and I said, this is what we're looking for. I'm really proud of you. That sounds so healthy. Thank you. Anyway, Claire, how was your week? What would you title this chapter? You know what's funny? I was also going to talk about my relationship status, but not with the old the old ball and chain, with the real love of my life, my cell phone. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, you guys have really been through it the last, honestly, couple of months. It's been a hard time for you guys. Someone said to me, they're like, I can't believe you treat your phone so badly. It's like your most prized possession. And I thought, yeah, Claire, nothing in this life that you love as much as your phone can you treat as badly as you've treated your phone. First of all, nobody on this planet, my parents, my boyfriend, you included, do for me what my phone does for me. Which is bring pure joy. Like six months ago, an entire bottom left corner of the screen fell off so that you could see the circuit board. And I just keep holding it in my sweaty hand, texting in the rain, dropping it in the shower. I like will change the music in the shower. And I reached out with my soapy, disgusting, conditioner filled, soppy little hand. And I'm like touching the buttons. And I'm like, why doesn't my touch work? My hand is just filled with gel. (laughs) And then I'm like, and now why is it working slowly? Did water get on the inside and burn everything? And it's like, I was living like that for months. And then it broke even worse. And the whole screen was cracked and I couldn't touch the left side. So I couldn't type any words with the letters A-S-D-F on them. Oh, that's so much of my name. Yeah, you were out for sure. (laughs) I also couldn't unlock it. It was like problematic. And I was just thinking about how badly I've treated my phone in my whole life. Have I ever told you the story about my first phone when the back and the front actually came apart? And when my dad took me to the Apple store, they were like, I've never seen anything like this. It's like it's melted apart. They're like, it's like the welding has been melted further apart from each other. And I was like, oh, I guess I shouldn't be taking my phone into the sauna with me. (laughs) What? How often are you in a sauna? At that point, I was using my mom's gym membership. She belonged to a very nice gym and they had a sauna. And I was just, when you're on your phone, you could be in there for like an hour. It's just hot comfort. And now you've got... Social media, I could die in a sauna. And I mean that 128 hours me in a sauna with my phone, please. (laughs) Let me tell you, the Apple store employee and my dad both looked at me like I was the biggest idiot they'd ever seen. And they started to laugh because to them, it was so fucking preposterous that I would do that. And then they just moved on as if I had told a joke. And I went, oh, don't correct them. Let them think you're kidding. You can't be this humiliated in front of your own father and this genius, an Apple genius. I mean, they truly only hire geniuses. We would have had the vac sooner, but unfortunately, they're all over there fixing iPhones. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a real brain drain in the science community. They're all at the the iPhone store with their iPad. But so I just like I'm taking a good hard look at myself and I'm saying, how do I want to treat people? And most importantly, phones. (laughs) 
I am so excited for this week's episode. We do a little bit of backtracking. We get into the horrific plane crash of Travis Barker. Ashley, do you want to give them the rundown just so that they know the story before we go in on it? Okay, so in 2008, Travis Barker was doing a gig in South Carolina. He was supposed to be flying back to California the next day, but him and his friends, they all had young children at home, and they decided that they would rather fly out the night of the show so they could sleep in their own beds. The manager, instead of following Travis's usual protocol of questions to ask flights, He booked them whatever plane was available because they had this last minute ask that was quite difficult to fulfill. So he found them this plane at takeoff. The plane malfunctioned and crashed. Travis and his friend DJ AM were able to get out of the plane. But his friends Lil Chris, who was his close friend and assistant, Che and the two pilots did not make it out of the plane. He found out later that all of them died on impact Travis and DJ AM were able to like sprint away from the plane partially because they were in a panic partially because Travis was on fire he just was completely mentally out of it and luckily they sprinted away because the plane then exploded Travis was covered on over 65% of his body with very severe burns he spent I believe two months in Atlanta in a burn unit recovering and then was driven back to Los Angeles to spend an additional few years fully recovering. He almost lost his foot. He had very severe damage to his hands, to all of his limbs, basically, and he broke his back in three places. It was deeply traumatic in every single way. I would say, and DJ AM later relapsed on drugs and overdosed potentially because of the aftermath of this accident. Yeah, so it's pretty tragic. I mean, just losing your friends, the horror of the plane crash, like the brutal recovery, and then on top of that to lose the one fellow survivor. Lil Chris was like his right-hand man that he – they were always together. They were best, best friends. For years. For years. years. DJ AM and him had been playing music together. They had been doing this whole new thing where DJ AM would DJ any type of music and without the drum line, and Travis would – improv drums on the spot it was something that like really brought a lot of musical joy and creativity to Travis's life they were super close Lil Chris had a wife and a new child Che had a family I mean it's just devastating it was really hard to read about and he wrote about it with a lot of truth and emotion and sadness we also get into the fun his dating exploits there will be some fun moments in this we have the most incredible guest you may know her from TikTok you may know her from Instagram You may know her from her podcast, Lex Nico, L-E-X-N-I-K-O on all social medias is so funny, so in the know. She is your pop culture go-to for everything. Check her out and enjoy her on this incredible podcast, Travis Parker Part 2. Oh my God. So thank you so much for being here, Lex. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to talk about this. I am so excited that you brought this book into our lives. It has been just the greatest blessing. We both have seven new mantras now. What is with him? I was literally taking photos. I'm like, that's a great quote. That's a great quote. One of his phrases is nobody cares, go harder. I Googled it and was screenshotting like phone backgrounds. (laughs) Like nobody cares, go harder. Self-made dues paid. (laughs) What was your relationship though before you read the book? What did you think of him? And then what brought you to the book? So here's the thing. I like loved Blink-182. I feel like I was at like a good age. I think I went to like a Vans Warped Tour as like one of my first concerts. So I was like really in it. The thing that was so polarizing for me in this book was like, I was never big on Travis Barker. I actually didn't like 
have a crush on them per se. I just liked their music and it resonated with me. But anytime I saw him because he was so quiet and he was so different from the other two, I kind of felt sad for him. So it was like this strange thing to read this book and hear how much ass he's getting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will say I was one, one person on this planet you never have to feel sorry for in your life is Travis Barker. Well, I, I guess so. I'm just a crash, but yeah, yeah. we'll get yeah. to that. I was going to say it's so wild that he is such a player with so many feelings. The way he is just like talking about banging these girls. They're talking about his bachelor party at one point and they're like, at the party, there was probably 40 different mouths on his dick. Yes. And he's like just talking about these like deep emotions that he has. And I'm just like, how how are you one five nine man? I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say something I have to cop to from the last episode is we were like, he's not really that degrading or disrespectful to women. Sure, he's a sex addict. He's having sex with three, four, five of them a day, but it's not in a disrespectful way. And I do have to come clean and be like, my love for Travis Barker last week did blind me. Like, not blind me, but I did, like, leave out details. Like, 40 women gave him head at his bachelor party where technically he's uh-huh. in a relationship. Or, like, he'd be banging a chick and his friends would steal her clothes and they'd kick her out of the house naked. I forgot and, like, about that. That was degrading. That I was, like, not- a fucked up thing to do. But then she's the one who called and was like, can I come back now? I have no clothes on. What? That's where I'm like, okay, I don't feel bad. But he is. He's very retrospective. And he's like, man, we were terrible to women and blah, blah. And you're like, you're right, Travis. I am always like on the side of women. But this is like the one time I'm like, they were literally asking for it. They were like on their knees begging for it. So it's hard to be like, they weren't even asking. They were just opening their mouths and being. Yes. (laughs) Yes to all of the above. No, it I feel blows my mind. Looking back at the last episode, I do feel that I was a bit disingenuous when I was like such a gentleman, such a kind <laughs> soul, sees women as fully full say- people. We disclaimed, we said at the top that our unbridled attraction to Travis Barker would affect our viewpoint. Yeah, but it's true. There is something in this book, like he's explaining doing these awful things and like mistreating women. He's not awful in an abusive way. Let's be very clear on that. He's awful in like, he's he's 19 and he's banging chicks and he doesn't feel bad about it. But like, there is something about him reflecting on it that brings it full circle and you're like he gets that it was bad doesn't take away that he did it but it's like you're kind of like oh he is a gentleman because he Mm -hmm. gets it there is a difference I think and he walks this line well of being predatory and being a douchebag yes and there is like look I don't think he was calling these girls in the morning and making sure they got home safe he wasn't going to call him an uber (laughs) had it been yesterday but at the same time he wasn't like creepily coming in and being like, I could get you backstage passes, high mm-hmm. schoolers. You know what I mean? He wasn't, he wasn't gross in that sense. This is one thing I wanted to ask you both, because again, I never thought of Travis Barker in my youth as a sex symbol. And then I'm reading this book and he's getting all this ass. Like, does he have the biggest dick in the world? Or- I literally used to do a joke because I feel like one of the funniest things is like the idea that women are having sex with a guy because he has a huge dick. Cause it's like, you wouldn't know that going in. He was behind drums. He right. was wearing garbage men outfits you got what you got and you don't get upset you know what i mean that couldn't have been it because how could they have known there was no True. internet back then True. i really think it was his quiet and kind of sad energy like mm-hmm. i think it was that he was in this pop rock whatever band where they're all like rocking out and then he's just kind of like behind the drums all serious not speaking whatever and you're just like i want to know what he's thinking he was elusive yes he was elusive and i think that that is exactly it <laughs> i also think the blink 182 music when i think about it i laugh because he is obviously so different than the two front men the two front men yeah. were like the class clown that you knew junior year who was harmless and honestly by the time they got out of college they probably have some like 
white collar button up job, mm -hmm. but they were so white boy whiny in the way they sang. Like me and Ashley kept laughing, about, like, hello there. <laughs> <laughs> It's such an accessible song and like music for teenage girls, but then he is a little bit more dangerous. So it's almost like yes. the two front men were the gateway drug. So they dance around and my dad wouldn't approve. And then you get to Travis and you're like, whoa, my dad would <laughs> not approve. And it really was like, then you get to him and he's the next step. There's like this gentle elusivity or something. I don't know. But now <sighs> after reading this book, I mean, I'm seeing it for Courtney, and you're like, how did you come here to wanting to review this? I mean, it was all of the Kardashians. It was Courtney and him. Okay, so we're going to get to the Kardashians towards the end because mm -hmm. I feel like there is a lot to discuss there. I want to back it up to the middle of this book. <laughs> Let's take the mood down 1,000 <laughs> notches and discuss the plane crash. Do you recall this happening in real time? Yes. So I forgot about this for a long time, but when Courtney and Travis started dating and like I started thinking back, I remember this so distinctly because this was like my peak reality time with Nicole yes. Richie and Paris Hilton, The Simple Life. She was dating or engaged to DJ AM and they had just broken up. And then this plane crash happened. And like, I remember this being like a significant blip in my pop yes. culture memory oh my god the nicole richie and dj am connection yes yes it's all coming back to me yes <laughs> so there was that whole thing so i do remember it but reading the details in this book it's graphic but it doesn't feel overly graphic the way that he gets the importance and like the tragedy and the mm -hmm. emotion across I mean, the lead up, first of all, he spends the first chunk of this book pointing to airplane imagery. We mentioned in the last episode that he has had a long lasting fear of flying mm -hmm. and has always had significant paranoia around flying. And there's been a lot of little weird clues in his life about planes that he's always felt very shaken up by. Reading it, you know the plane crash is coming because the book opens yeah. with the plane crash excerpt. And so then when you get to it and he's like talking about his friends and the fun loving whatever the details that they were unsure about and the kind of uncertainty of that moment and then the crash I can't handle I know. it <laughs> I know the thing too like you're talking about the lead up I noticed in reading it I was like I knew that this plane crash was coming but he's talking about like how amazing Chris is he just had a son and he brought Che along Che is his lifelong friend that build up to know that they ultimately passed away and then him describing it and how he tried to go for them. I was crying. Like I was crying in I this book. Crying. I'm like, how is this making me sob uncontrollably right now? He, it wasn't egregious talking about the pain he felt sitting there. Cause I think more than anything, he talked about the emotional pain mm -hmm. and how lonely he was. He talks about those boys coming and playing drums outside of his window. I cried at that too. And then like, there's always that skeezy manager who you're like, how is there always somebody making the worst decisions you've ever heard? He has that one friend who was like, I wanted to come visit you and your manager told me not to. Yeah, I know. Was it Rob? Was it SR? Okay, did you? So I actually, one thing about this book is I did have to go back and be like, skinhead, is that not always a Nazi thing? Because he had a lot of skinhead friends growing up. Yeah. yeah. It was just like a scene thing that 
got co-opted by the Nazis, I think. Mm. Yeah, and then I've heard there's now, it's like Stam or something. No, that's stay-at-home moms. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you just keep seeing the way he's dropping Skinhead and you're like, are we saying the same thing? Skinhead Rob. He wouldn't let him come and visit him. The details of like the skin graphing and all the surgeries, that's what I will say in be taking myself back to the moment. It's like, you heard about the plane crash, Travis Barker went away. And then one day he was just like back three years yeah. later. I didn't know any of the in-between. I didn't know any of the in-between and the way he was talking about his recovery. And he was like very honest about yes. being absolutely suicidal. And yeah. that, I mean, I guess trigger warning. I mean, I found that to be very honest something he yes. said that really got me was talking about like searching like aa websites or like aa adjacent websites for support groups for airplane survivors and then also people who lost loved ones in airplane crashes yes and being like none of them pertain to me because i was both something about travis barker one of the most famous men in america like being on like craigslist.com being like is there one human out there who I could turn to and feel less alone. Yeah. Like, really yes. struck a nerve with me. It was so interesting. Well, two things. One that made me so sad when we ultimately find out about DJ AM was that two DJ AM was going with him to those support groups and like being his friend. But then ultimately he was like, I had PTSD and survivor's guilt at the same time. And he's yeah. like, nobody, nobody knew what I was going through. And I had nobody that could relate. And then when totally. DJ AM passed away, he's like, then I really had nobody who could I mean, relate. that was so heartbreaking. Cause like you're losing your friend and then you're losing your other friends. And then you're also so alone to have nobody to share yeah. that with. It was truly tragic. And I can't believe he got through it. When he talks about getting off his antidepressants, he does have a mental fortitude that you have to respect. Yes. And look, if he had stayed on antidepressants his whole life, I'd be like, God bless, of course. Like I. Barely got through a pandemic and nothing bad even happened to me. I was <laughs> I was bored for a year and I was like, I don't know if I could keep living like this. <laughs> he survived true tragedy and has come out and thrived. And I have to say, like, you have to give him credit for him to have skin grafts on his hands. He lost almost all that feeling in his mm -hmm. hands. He had a pinched nerve for a year that he barely even mentioned. And to learn how to drum again, to come back from that. I mean, that mm -hmm. is a physical and mental toughness. I mean, his hands, his feet, the things that you use when you're playing drums, plus yes. his back was broken in three places that he didn't even for know. A year. Because he was just like, I don't know, I was, I was in a plane crash. I thought I was supposed to be in pain. Like, I didn't know that this was broken back pain. I thought it was just in a fiery plane crash pain and it's like Jesus. no dude your back's broken <laughs> but like the three things that you need to play drums are hands feet a back and i yeah. guess a brain but like <laughs> but even that his friends were saying you know before he got off all the medication they were like he's different something's something's up like he literally had everything he needed to play drums yeah. taken from him and he crawled out of that and he like built himself completely back up. It's the second half of his career has been fucking mind blowing with Blink and all of the like rap artists rap that artists. he's worked with. Yes. He's worked in rock. He's done a, like he's basically hit every genre with the elite of the elite. Again, as you know, a spectator, it's like you see these things like I remember him popping into videos or being performing on stage with people. When you read about it back to back to back to back and how all of these people were just like, man, I want Travis. I want Travis. You have to recognize this talent. Yeah. I would say this with Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber is an amazing artist and he's an amazing entertainer, but there was something about him busking at 14 in Ontario. Shout out Canada. I'm Canadian. <laughs> there is something about it. It's undeniable. And I feel like 
Travis must have had that. His mom must have known that to be so dedicated from such a young age. There's the practice and the work ethic, but there's something natural there. There is something charismatic. And I do think like the drive, like some people just are incredible talents, be it like comedy and artists, uh, you know, like Adam Driver. What yeah. is good about him? But there's a confidence and like an assuredness that I think comes from like a true talent, like an X mm -hmm. factor that can't be denied. You can't take your eyes off of him. He had whatever it is. <laughs> also think his children and Shanna, those two relationships triangulated with his emotions during the plane crash to make him like the perfect victim. Yeah. And the perfect survivor. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because Shanna is acting so horrifically. <laughs> Shanna is taking his un a comad, unconscious body and being like, this is the perfect opportunity to snoop. And it's like, was it? And going through his email? Insane. What is that? Yeah, so I think we mentioned it last time, but while Travis was like doped out of his fucking mind in a months long recovery program, Shanna went through his emails while she said she wouldn't leave him. <laughs> And was emailing the women. Yes. Yeah. She was replying all the like sex threads on gmail.com. <laughs> the listserv group, women who fucked yeah. Travis. But like, that's not even it. I mean, I think we mentioned this one before too. She had been told by the doctors to simmer down because she was like <laughs> causing a scene at the burn ward. And then later he gets home and he's like on bed rest at home and he has to hire a driver to take the kids to school because the father of her children are, is like almost dead and she still can't wake up to take her own freaking kids to school. Like that's when you're like, all right, Shanna, I hate to not be on the woman's side, but this is egregious. You can't take your kids yeah. to school. Yeah. It is this weird thing where she says that she never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Actually, I'm, what I'm about to say, we might have to cut say this it. out. Say I, it. It's just, did you want to be a mom at all? Like, I just, it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like the responsibility of being a parent. It's not about mother, father. It's like, did you want the responsibility of being a parent beyond not wanting to be a stay-at-home mom? Yes. Right. But he is so devoted to those kids and the way he talks about them being like what got him through. And like, there's, he's like not allowed in the sun, but he's out in the little portico or something by the pool, watching his kids tootle about and giving them drum lessons and that's what got him through it you're like god damn it travis I was that was another thing that really broke my heart about dj am is like his acknowledgement that having kids is i mean he was like i had something to live for yeah and dj am was just like kind of lost in his thoughts and i mean travis acknowledges like if he didn't have those kids like if he didn't have something greater than himself that was like pulling him through like would he have made it TBD. And you know what I yeah. just realized? DJ AM, I guess, saved his life too. Like he was fully on fire and DJ AM put him out. Yeah. Like, you owe your life to a man who couldn't, who couldn't survive it. That's worse. I know. There's a lot. There's so many layers to it. Yeah. There's so many layers when to it. When he talks about how he like reached forward and tried to get them out of the plane and he couldn't because of the wall of fire and then later finding out that they had died on impact and feeling like somewhat relieved that he hadn't left them behind. Like that is so heavy, but then to have your own friend in New York city and he was just in Connecticut recording. The last thing DJ AM said to him was like, he wanted to get fucked up. And then I'm sure Travis went through some sort of thing of like, should I have gone? Should I have stopped him? Like, was that his cry for help? And I didn't recognize it. 
especially after DJ AM had been such a, a factor and obviously not him getting sober necessarily, but he was the first person that he listened to and he'd say, before you make a big uh, decision, yeah. sober up for 20 or four, for 24, 40 yeah. hours. Yeah. And let's also talk real quick about um, Travis Barker's sobriety journey. Cause I don't think we really touched no. on the fact that he was a big old pill head. And then somehow this plane crash, just like being forced to take so much medication yes. is what kind of cleared him up because he hated like recreationally taking that amount of drugs when he had to take that amount of drugs like it's just not fun anymore you know God, I'm so yeah. humiliated that last like last week we really were like he was perfect he <laughs> has two perfect children and he's been perfect every minute of his life and okay he had sex with women and now we're like was he an out of control sex addict with a pill popping problem? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> but you know what? You you cheer for him. You want to root for him. There is something. I think it is that self awareness of like, and that's why you want to root for him. Like, it is absurd that he was taking so many pills that he got osteoporosis and he could feel all of his surgeries. Like, how was he alive? Oh <laughs> my God, that part where he had such a high tolerance to pain medications that when they were like anesthesizing him for surgeries, he wouldn't go under. That's insane. Yes. And like, it does make you like, when those kids were young and he was addicted to pills, I'm like, clearly he couldn't have been the most present father. And mm -hmm. I do, it does yeah. sound like he was a little bit irritated. There's that story where he he's on punked. This is one of those stories where I'm like, you both sound awful. Like, get <laughs> yeah. yourselves out of this. It was his birthday. He was coming back from a tour in Australia. But he gets off the plane. She's supposed to take him out to dinner for his birthday. He only likes one restaurant in all of the world. It's like I will say, <laughs> just last week, you told this story is like a reason why Shanna is bad. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, it was his birthday. All he wanted to do is take pills. Why can't she just let him... <laughs> fucking Zan out on his motherfucking birthday. I will say, I think all he wanted was sushi. Why not just take him to the sushi restaurant he likes? I will admit now when he flipped a Claire's table. having her own arc. <laughs> I've never had this happen to me before. I'm so critical and cruel. I don't like anybody. I am humiliated at what I've become. Just a few tattoos and a little bit of drum practice. And I was like, he was in a drum he was in a band in high school. Oh, God bless. Oh, my God. But I will admit, when he was really fucked up and flipped a table at the waiter, maybe that, like, I could see how, like, that, he was probably not great to be around all the time. Okay, but I'll defend him there. Yes. He was on punked and they were deliberately trying to get a rise out of him. So the fact that he freaked out and flipped a table was kind of the goal yes yeah <laughs> anyway okay so travis kind of popping pills like you said possibly not the ever-present father that we have put him on the pedestal of mm -hmm. i don't think that that was a sentence there was one thing that stuck out for me with shanna they had people contributing their little blurbs in certain parts of the story but she wrote one part where she was like the like love we had love for each other but then all of that love was given got directed to bama and i was like oh no don't have this like mommy daughter issues with your yeah. child yeah it and is. i think she did a q a and she was like their dad lives behind a gate in a mansion like of course they want to be with him or whatever and i totally get that and i i really hope that they have a good relationship and what i've read in my research is like him and Shanna have come a long way in their, you know, battle and they are yeah. in a good place as co-parents. So let's hope it stays that way. Let's hope it stays that way. I did see another piece of press recently about um, Shanna has a boyfriend right now who mm -hmm. seems 
kind of unimpressive mm-hmm. overall. And Landon has made that he agrees with me very clear to the press. <laughs> really? I didn't. Yeah. I he mean, has been like, my mom can do better than this fucking dude. <laughs> yeah. I think that that guy like cheated on her too. Let's talk about some of his other relationships. His list of girls that he names is impressive I mean impressive I mean we know he has a roster that is like an old-timey scroll like you could (laughs) roll that baby out for blocks and blocks but I mean the names at the top of it are huge Paris Hilton Paris Hilton not even Paris Hilton like Paris Hilton at her peak prime Paris Hilton being like I like the way we look in pictures together and taking photos with him and like you know wanting the paparazzi going nuts for them like that was peak paparazzi peak Paris and so for him to be in that fold again just speaks volumes to like whatever elusive attraction he has that people just I mean he literally ascended from being the drummer like like Claire said a guy without a mic his stage presence was so overpowering that he was just there drumming and he became an a-list celebrity mm-hmm. he had an incredible branding ability that's what what people used to call charisma and x-factor I'm just saying an, an innate branding ability <laughs> but it's true like I if let me tell you if Mark Copping and that other one I can't even think of this dumbass name Tom DeLong. Tom DeLong. If, if they had just walked into my apartment Hoppins. right now I won't, it's unrecognizable <laughs> names. If I went out for drinks with my boyfriend and he was like, these are my friends, Mark and Tom, I'd go, I don't, these are your B team of friends. Like these aren't even- I would say, <laughs> I paid my taxes. Get out of here, IRS. <laughs> I'd say, is this an intervention? Are these boys from the church? <laughs> but were Tom and Mark Mormon too? They just seemed very like regular. I don't think so. I think they were just like kind of dull. Okay. Danny. They just didn't party. Like, big Mormon energy. <laughs> yeah, big Mormon energy. BME. And then also, though, with Paris, though, how he, like, called out that their sex wasn't the best and the other Miss Universe or Miss USA was, like, better. His type truly is cokehead beauty queen. He mm-hmm. loves a beautiful, classic woman. A playboy bunny. He's like, I want her to have rock-hard plastic tits and a beautiful, perfect, like, made-up aesthetic but clean not like not kim no courtney exactly is his aesthetic because she has that same like kind of like hardish shaped face very clean skin very natural but like blowout hair like natural but not like natural but optimized who is down to be a freak To suck his thumb on Instagram. Yes. Oh my gosh. My brother wow. DM'd me about that and he goes, this upset me so much. He's like, you know how bad that little son of hers is probably getting bullied at school? And I was like, first of all, Thomas, none of those kids have ever been to school. Mason is not in school. <laughs> I was like, I don't even think Scott can read. You know what I mean? That's why he has to date 22 year olds. They're like his SAT tutors. <laughs> those kids are not getting bullied. They've never met another kid. I'm like, who's bullying him? True. Maybe yeah. dream, but even she knows she's like on the precipice of that family, so she can't test it. The only one that's bullying is North. So then to bring it back to the Kardashians, through Paris, he met her assistant and like on Paris was the original Jordan Woods. <gasps> Whoa, as I said that, it got too true because then they hooked up and they- Oh, said, my, oh my God. God. But did he hook up with Kim or did they hang out? He claims that they never hooked up, but th- that she was constantly swimming in his pool. I know. Okay, can I say the way the rest of this book has gone, he was not just like finding a girl and taking her out on all kinds of dates. That 
seems insane. Like he was just banging girls that he knew for like 18 minutes. And you think he's going to take Kim out on weeks of dates before they even, I don't know, do mouth stuff. No way. Later, he talks about how Kim came to him and asked for his advice about how to do a reality show. Clearly, this was post Ray J. I wonder if he, she called in a favor and said, look, we did have a connection. I cannot take any more sexual heat right now. I cannot be John Mayard a la Jessica Simpson. Can you please, like, leave my good name? Because she is kind of like, obviously, she's a sex tape, but I do find her to be sort of prudish in a way. I go back and forth. I think there's two things that could have happened. I think, number one, maybe he was super promiscuous and whatever, but, like, Kim was leading him on because she wanted the advice and the blah, blah, but she actually didn't go there with him. And I feel like that's probably correct because she seems so cool about Travis and Courtney. But on the other side, in preparing for this book, I could see Kris Jenner being like, "Mm, you're not going to talk about Kimmy. I mean, there have been rumors swirling about Travis and Courtney for years at this point. What if that was already on his radar? Radar. Like, what if he already kind of had a little bit of a crush on Courtney? And so he was like, I'm just going to make it seem like people know that I hung out with Kim. I cannot hide that. And it'd be weird if I left it out. But if I make it seem super innocent, super not weird, I just mention it. So it doesn't seem like I'm hiding something, but I just bury the deets. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. I think we have a winner. That makes sense to me because people have been shipping them for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Like, yes. Because they've been been neighbors for a while, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that little Calabasas street, the fanciest street on the planet. Can I tell you guys what my favorite sentence in the whole book was? Yes, of course. When he talks about after Paris, after Kim, hooking up, not hooking up with, but like meeting up with Lindsay Lohan at a party hosted by Sidekick. It was... The most 2007 sentence I had ever heard of. I went, there it is. That's it was amazing. a sidekick party. I said that to my friend. My friend goes, I don't know who sidekick is. And I was like, not who, but what? <laughs> the great connector of us all. The original flip phone. Oh, the original man. Paris Hilton. Oh, RIP sidekicks. I love them. I was doing a gig at the sidekick kick party Lindsay Lohan came with me excuse me what (laughs) that was another one where they were gonna hook up but then Shanna was like put a tracking device on his phone or something I will say the way that Shanna is woven into all of these stories of the other stars that he has dated is bonkers I do think that he has a type and he's stuck with that type but he learned to find to go for like less of a hothead because I think he was initially very attracted to the way that Shanna was like so crazy for him that she would like literally fight any other girl that he talked to and it got old really quick and it turns out that she was not going to grow out of that the way that she fought Paris Hilton that might have been my favorite part of the book <laughs> like tell trying to have a parking lot fight with Paris Hilton girl what look I I watched a few episodes of meet the Barkers again because I never watched it when it was out but as I've been like following him and Courtney's relationship, I watched a couple of them and they seem so cute and in love, but like hearing these stories about how heated and jealous she was, I was just like, oh man, what was going on here? (laughs) And I also wonder so much about how he actually was. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's once again, telling that she does have inserts in the story. So if she was, trying to like interject like no he was crazy jealous too I think she would have and I think he would have left that in I don't think Mm -hmm. that would have been edited out if she did have a real actual side to the story amongst this chunk but I mean she says she's like I in her chunk her writing which I'm sure she 
someone in her team wrote. Um, I don't know that that bitch can afford a team. I don't know that she can afford her own kids. The writer that wrote it with Travis polished things up and gave people right. But she says I threw a lot of glasses like alcohol in a lot of girls' faces. Should we bring it up to today? What do you think is the relationship between Courtney and Travis? What do you think they have in common? What do you think that dynamic is like? Here's the thing. I deeply ship them. We stand. What I love about them is that it does feel, and reading this book affirmed it for me, it feels very much like he has reached a point in his life where he's settled he like understands the road and journey that he's gotten to and how fortunate he is to still be here. And he like cares for himself and his kids. And that is his life. And I think the attraction to Courtney is that she's gone on a similar journey with her family, her kids, and they're both successful in their own regard. So they're not looking, it's not like a, a power dynamic of him and Shanna. It's actually like they're more equal. So it's truly like they just enjoy each other's company. They have this bond and they have like the understanding of being single parents. But on the other side of that, what scares me is so much of what he's doing is like what he did with Shanna, like the true romance on her birthday, the plane with happy birthday, Courtney, how intense they are. And I'm like, if this crashes and burns, I'm going to be so fucking mad at both of you. See how they would be a perfect match? Because I do think that it is honestly, people like talk about how they're just in these opposite worlds and that means it's like bizarre that they're They're together. not they're in not. opposite worlds. They're neighbors. They're literally in the same Calabasas gated. He's not a rock and roller anymore. He's in the richest suburb in LA. Yes, mm -hmm. but what I was going to say is that I think it's good that they're kind of in separate like genres in people's brains because that means their work doesn't affect each other do you know what I mean yeah. like if she was a musician then everyone would be like okay like Travis Barker's new girlfriend the musician like how is that gonna affect his music how is that gonna affect her music like all this stuff like his presence can affect keeping up with the Kardashians or Courtney's shit if she wants it to but it doesn't have to mm -hmm. and her presence won't affect his music unless he wants it to and he wants to like write a song about her or whatever but it's like it can be very deliberate the ways that they include each other in these public personas a thousand and it percent. can probably just be for social media like in the way that they include each other and I also think they're both absolute sex freaks Yes. yes. <laughs> They're both established is what I'm trying to say. Because it's not like his yeah. team is like, oh, you shouldn't date her. That's a bad look. And her team's not like, oh, you shouldn't date him. That's a bad look. It's literally like you're both so established. You're both so successful. It literally doesn't matter that you yes. date. It's actually incredible because you're both super successful in what you do. I also think they might have the exact same sense of humor. Mm -hmm. I like can really see them like the two goth kids in high school who just sit in the back of class and like whisper under their breath. She has yeah. that slow, sarcastic drawl where she's just kind of mean to everybody and puts yeah. everybody down with a smirk. And as we've said, he's very silent, but I bet he just like eats that up. Like, you know what I mean? I think their whole relationship is her just like whispering and like rolling her eyes and saying something under her breath and him like laughing at it. <laughs> God, I love them. <laughs> really think that he has like a playfulness that she was looking for because you know Scott gets a lot of shit for dating teenagers but Courtney mm -hmm. was doing that too for a little bit I mean her last two boyfriends have been yeah. young <laughs> and so I think the way like the fact that she found someone her own age who has that like sort of youthful like he does like his toys like he has never gotten over buying cars and has this kind of fun lightheartedness to him 
that I think she thought she had to date a 22-year-old to find. And I'm really happy that she found that in someone of an appropriate age. I hope Scott does the same someday. He's a vegan and he's a mm-hmm. health freak. She is whatever she is. She, yeah, poo. She's like her own brand of just like rich white lady. Yeah, she's goop 2.0. And then I also think she likes that he's sober because Scott is obviously still a huge drug addict. And mm-hmm. I think just the idea that a man is not going to not show up for dinner because he's out doing lines. I think the kids, though, with Travis, too, is like a big deal. Like, I don't know if you saw, like, they went to Aspen together and, like, all the kids are hanging out. Like, I think the fact that his kids like Courtney and Courtney's kids and his kids get along, like, it's so clear in this book that his kids are the driving force of his life and, like, the, you know, factor in every decision that he makes that, like, the fact that they're so open to this relationship probably makes him obsessed with her. And yeah. she probably loves that. Let's look at Alabama's Instagram. Yeah, People have specifically asked that we talk about her. First of all, I would like to point out that her best friend is Jordan Woods 2.0. Yeah, her little sister, Jody Woods. Jody. I wonder if this relationship will bring Jordan Woods back into the fold. I wonder if it, she's been in timeout long enough. Oh, I don't know. I think my awareness of Alabama might have completely come from your TikTok where you showed that video where she's putting yeah KVD foundation concealer and she's covering up Travis's tattoos she's giving me serious Kylie energy right now she here's the thing and again I don't like to slut shame a child (laughs) Claire I'm not I literally I haven't even said anything yet yeah, but you prefaced with you're about to slut tame a child. No, I'm not. I know I didn't. I find that like the appeal of Charlie D'Amelio is everything that Alabama isn't. And I think it's yeah. there's something about Alabama where as an older woman, you want to take her inside and go to be 15 is like the best. Like, it's great to just be naturally pretty. Ride it out as long as you can. It is a lot all the time in a way mm-hmm. that's like... Like, you're like, oh, there is no mother here. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, you look at her and you go, this girl does not have a mother in the house. Somebody needs to tell her to chill. But then I was also thinking about how her own mother was somebody who, like, used sex to get ahead. Like, I don't think it's crazy to think that she has been raised with the values that it's, like, being a 15 isn't a reason you shouldn't look like this. It's actually an asset to you. Like, how great that you're yeah. so sexy and 15. <laughs> They'll like that even better. <laughs> and then her dad is like, oh, you love makeup. I want to be supportive of your interests. Mm. And I'm not like, I'm not like trying to peg them against each other, but it's like, it becomes this combination where maybe in different ways, your parents are both accepting of this being how you look and dress. And like, it is also fine, but there's something scary and like, she's losing a bit of her innocence. It is also just like a really bizarre time, I think, to be that age. Just this time last year when I was entering the world of TikTok and learning who all these teenagers are, like, yes, you have Charlie D'Amelio on one side, but you also have Lauren Gray and, like, Mm -hmm. Daisy Keach and, like, those girls who are, I mean, barely older than her. Like, I think Lauren Gray was, like, 19 or something. And I guess even Charlie has had the nose job. So it is kind of like... And Charlie does the nails and Charlie does... The eyelashes. I think that there is definitely this insane pressure right now and because she has the resources to be this person with the extensions Mm -hmm. and the nails and the whatever like why not because I'm sure that's also how everyone in her circle especially I mean now that we know that the people she hangs out with is the Kardashians I mean 
who does she know that isn't dressing like that? I and wonder. that's what I was going to say. I was like, I don't even think it's an insane pressure. I think that this is normal. The standard. Like, yeah. I think that they're just like, this is the way I'm like Vans and Vans Warped Tour and like my t-shirts and baggy pants. Like, I think this is just their vibe. And they're just like doing it the most because they're the richest kid. When we look back on high school and we're like, oh my God, straightened side bangs and eyeliner and MySpace angle selfies. Like they're going to look back on high school and be like, holy shit, those nails, those extensions. Those nails. Oh, yeah. I mean, the eyelashes are so much. It's all so much. Are they getting lip filler in instead of braces? They're getting preventative Botox. I haven't even gotten their period. You're like, I think you have time. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a parent. I'm nobody. Travis and Shanna can parent however they yeah. want, but I'm just like, don't you want to just go like have a sleepover mm -hmm. or something? Yeah. But maybe like people our age when we were in high school were like a cheese straightener for every 14 year old girl. <laughs> like why yeah. do they, like, you know what I mean? Like that's so much work. What are they all doing? <laughs> the amount of time that I spent trying to straighten my hair and like not understanding anything about Nothing. how like hair and beauty and any of that shit works did you have that like mousse foundation oh my god <laughs> we were so tacky <laughs> like, I mean I'm talking shit about the way that she has like makeup caked on but at least it's like makeup caked on in the contour the of a face like makeup. we used to cake makeup on in a way where it was like what is under there like you have to chisel that thing off with like a grout remover is and you know thing? what <laughs> to be perfectly fair if I'm gonna be fully honest with you both like in my day, I was definitely in grade nine with like acrylic French tips. My friend and I would go get our nails done. I like, used to get them from CVS, like the press-ons. And I remember one summer I was scooping ice cream and I was scooping ices for a family. And I looked down and one was gone. And I was just like, I looked at six perfectly scooped ices and I was just like, Claire, it could be in here or it could not. They'll know once they've left. So Get your tip and just pray to God. I used to go to sleep in eyeliner because I thought that's how you got perfectly smudged makeup. Maybe we're just out of- This is just evolution. So wait, do, what do you both think with Courtney and Travis in the longevity of their relationship? I think it could be a solid relationship. I don't know that Courtney is capable of like a long-term love with anybody. I do feel like her heart is kind of two sizes too small. I kind of feel like she was very traumatized by her parents' divorce. I yeah. do think she- And she was the oldest when her dad passed away. Yeah, and I do think that, like, she kept Scott around because part of her doesn't believe in marriage. Like, I do think she, like, specifically finds these people she can have, like, a long – she, like, found a man to have children with. She can find a man to raise those children through their teenage years. I don't actually think that she wants a forever partner. And people – I was saying Jennifer Lopez, I don't think she can find one, and I have, like, a whole theory for that. And people were like, well, maybe she doesn't want one. And I go, that bitch wants one. She's been engaged five times. That means there was five times she's like, this could last forever. Mm -hmm. I don't think Courtney honestly is like, is this the man I'll love in 20 years? I think she goes, this is a man I can trust for the next few years, but I don't care about 20 years. She's just living her life, living life. I share the same concern with you about the fact that this did start out hard and fast. Like mm -hmm. I think that they're running at a rapid pace that it has no choice but to slow down at some point. And will that be like a burnout or will that be like a normalization? Dunno. I also I think that – I don't know. I definitely worry about the Scott situation because I think that, first of all, we saw this year on the birthday posts the way that he is clearly shaken up about the Travis situation. <laughs> 
I mean, that was blurry. That was a like, blurry Instagram fuck, story. Scott? <laughs> I had to look this up. I did not see this. Hold on. Oh my God. It was his stories. For someone that you've known for that amount of time and like had several professional photo shoots with and share children with, like you'd think you could find one photo that's not blurry, but yeah. he couldn't. Clearly there's a rift right now. And my theory on that rift is that Yes, Courtney and Scott have been co-parenting and not together for quite some time now, but they've both had deeply unserious partners. Like, even though they've been in multi-year relationships, Scott's partners have been 20-year-olds. Courtney's partners have been 22-year-olds. Obviously, it was a zero-threat situation. Like, no one is going to come in and be the new dad here. So I think right now... Scott is very distressed that Travis is a contender serious. for a long-term partner, like an actual serious person. And Courtney is going to have to make a choice, Scott or Travis, at some point. Like to make right. Scott happy and like to keep their relationship copacetic or to, you know, be in a long-term partnership with Travis. Like she's going to have to like really draw a line at some point. And that is where their relationship could either go the distance she could pick him or she could not she could go back to scott i actually think you're both right i feel like there's a part of courtney that is just guarded and she doesn't want to commit because she's afraid of loss through her parents divorce loss through her dad disappointment through scott like i think she is guarded but then i also do think like scott has never had a relationship with courtney in a serious relationship like he was with yeah. sophia and that was serious and like Courtney was accepting of that. We saw paparazzi shots of them, but like it's never gone the other way around. And I don't know if Scott has the capacity to handle that. Clearly he doesn't. Best mom to the kids. Like, so I don't know. Wow. We have three of the greatest pop culture minds here in this room. If one person in this circle had bothered to learn science, we would have <laughs> solved climate do. change. <laughs> I am so deeply passionate about the relationship arc of Travis and his dad pal you know Randy is his name but like I love you pal I love you pal and like and how he made him so proud Can we, I, we haven't it? talked about this relationship at all <laughs> we talked quite a bit about his mom and how um he lost his mom at a young age and it was very sad because she was very supportive his dad was a hard ass and mm -hmm. I think that we he honestly his dad really reminded me of my grandpa <laughs> I just think he's a good old-fashioned like working-class guy who like went to Nam and like got his job in the factory mm -hmm. but what I love is like how he credits Travis's work ethic with his father's and he talks about how he go work all day at the factory come home and then work straight on the house and like he said he like built their house with his own two hands yes and he was hard on Travis but ultimately I think like He's so proud of him and they bond over the cars and he helps with the business. The The name pal is like such a cute freaking nickname. I and then when he goes against those two tattoos in the honor tattoos. of Travis, even though he's such an anti-tattoo He hated Travis getting tattoos and then he went and got the pal tattoo because he is so proud of him. And the way that like Travis had to bribe his dad out of riding the motorcycle ever again, <laughs> it was so cute to me. And I do get it. It's like, I don't know. That guy has had trouble with vehicles. Mm -hmm. Like, let's keep your dad safe. So, like, my grandpa is always known for being, like, an absolute hard ass. And then when he had grandchildren, he, like, melted, like, fucking butter. And people <laughs> used to talk about it all the time, being, like, he was, like, very much, like, a classic, strict dinner will be on the table when I get home kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And then when he had grandchildren would be just like lying on the ground, like rolling with us. And everyone was like, is that who is the same person? guy? And it really felt like that same arc where it was like, he was this hard ass until he kind of could look back on his creation and be like, okay, they, 
they're done. Like Travis is cooked and he did a really good job. Like I feel like he had to stay in this like absolute sergeant role because he wasn't sure how it would turn out. And he like really just wanted the best the whole time. And then when he could look back and be like, my God, he is very successful. I can kind <laughs> of chill out now. very successful. Like, <laughs> now we can just kind of hang out, shoot the shit, be pals because mm-hmm. I don't have to keep like laying down the law anymore. Like he did it. He's good. He earned his respect. Yeah. And then I loved, I, this is not a big part of the book, but again, like I'm such a mush. Like this was something that made me cry. Um, Travis was talking about Landon's Landon had a birthday party and him and his friends like did a concert and he was playing the drums and Travis looked over at his dad and his dad was crying. And I was like, (laughs) and even the way he came around to having a stepmom. I was just going to say, I think one of the, so obviously we've talked more problematic than I'd like to admit relationship with women, but he had a stepmom who essentially broke up the parents' marriage Mm -hmm. and then the mom died. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine he'd be very angry and resentful. And I don't know if this is true or not, but in the book, he does a really good job of being like, she was a nice lady. I didn't think it was her fault. I always liked her. What I hated was my dad did to my mom. What I was mad about was that I didn't have a mom. And he was 13 years old. When you're 13 years old and your dad is cheating on your mom and then your mom dies and then that woman moves into your house, like it mm-hmm. is not unreasonable to put negative energy onto that woman. A hundred percent. And what I noticed because I'm so crazy. I was reading his like acknowledgements and I noticed that he like thanked his mom, he thanked his kids and then he thanked his dad and then brackets, it was like pal and then he thanked Mary. So like, and if you looked at the list, like Shanna was like on the second page of my Kindle. So like Tom DeLonge wasn't even on it. So I was just like, I feel like there is an acceptance there because of her ranking in the acknowledgements with his dad or respect there again. That is really Am I beautiful. okay? Like, no, what? I love that. This is the science. <laughs> I do want to say the Tom DeLong hole was like the one thing where I was like, I want more there. Like, that was one of my favorite hilarious celeb name drops is when he's like, Tom DeLong thought Tony Robbins could save the band. I don't know if I said that in the last episode, but that he was like, we're having problems. I'm going to my friend Tony Robbins. He's like, I forward him all of our emails. He's going to help us. Tony Robbins did not save Blink-182. Also Pink Floyd. Travis, I didn't know Travis was such a like Pink Floyd fan. I read I one of the footnotes. I didn't know he was an anything fan. I didn't know. I mean, I literally did not know his background in like cross genre, whatever the fuck at all yeah. until reading this book. And then, you know, him talking about the way that he grew up on hip hop and trying to incorporate that into some of the like pop punk ska shit that he was doing. And then later had like a second career fully in hip hop. I'm just like. Oh, I am floored and impressed and in awe. And, you know, disclaimer, I see that he didn't treat women well and had a pill problem. And maybe, you know, those things. maybe in his own memoir, he's only telling one side of the story. But. But that's the thing. If I took something out of this book, like the way that it's talking about his life, it's talking about career or whatever, but like his work ethic, his like drive and his motive to just make yes. it as a drummer, as a career. He's like, I don't care who you are, where you are, what time it is, I will come there and I will drum. Like that is something to be said in and of itself. It was like, you respected him. The thing is you came out respecting yes. him as an artist, yes. which I think made him more appealing as a person. And then he was like a cute dad. And then you were like, well, I could know. he be my husband? Oh my God. Okay. Well. Thank you so much for doing our podcast, Lex. It was so amazing talking to you. I feel like we were on the the same page about a lot of things. We were on the same page. Thank you both so much. 
And where can people find you just so that they can hear again? And of course, everything you say, we're going to put in our show notes. So if you want to find her and you didn't hear it. Head to the links, baby. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm literally everywhere at Lex Nico, L-E-X-N-I-K-O on social media, like literally everywhere. So any platform you want to follow me on, give me a follow, but look me up on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, everywhere that, you know, you, you are on social. Every, everything that you spend most of the day looking at on your phone. Yes. Make sure you're looking at Lex. Make sure you look it up and follow me. And then I have a podcast. It's called One Last Thing. It's a pop culture and current events podcast. It comes out every Wednesday. Fun. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. This was awesome.